And good evening to all you Metsian folk on this Mets off day. Uh, this is the converted Mets fan, Stan Maxwell, and you are here with a Metsian podcast. And we have a, a great show for you. Obviously, we're all a little high, uh, you know, after this weekend. And not, not me because I'm in Denver, but that's a whole other story, <laughs> and I didn't mean a pun with that. Um, <laughs> what a way to start the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a very special guest to bring on. But with, without further ado, let me bring on my co-conspirators uh, of a Metzine podcast. And I'll start with uh, Rich Sparago in Connecticut. What's going on, Rich? Hey, Sam. Um, you know, it's funny how uh, a couple weeks ago people would say, oh, it's an off night. Don't have to have the Mets break my heart and make me crazy. Now, all you look at Twitter, all you see is, oh, my God, it's an off night. I'm going to be bored. I, I want the Mets to come back. It's a sign of the times, you know, uh, so it's all good. That it is. And uh, on location somewhere in Brooklyn, we have Mike LaColon from Bensonhurst. What's going on, Mike? From Bensonhurst, currently in Williamsburg again. Ah, ah well, uh, you know, it's the hippest place in Brooklyn, arguably the hippest place in all of New York uh, these days, right? Uh, and uh, let's bring on John Struble of Mets Rewind, uh, who is uh, hey, thankful, uh, able to join us this uh, this Monday evening. What's going on, John? Gee, I guess the last time we spoke was probably sometime in late April, early May, and we were you know, downtrodden already and, and uh, had a lot of headaches over the Mets, but things have turned around quite a bit, and I'm excited to talk about some stuff. So it's going to be fun. That it is. Uh, before we get started, why don't you give us a shameless plug uh, for all those listeners out there? Yeah, sure. Uh, at Mets Rewind on social media, whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And, of course, our uh, website is up and launched now, and it's uh, Mets Rewind. Dot com. Uh, get, got an interview coming up with Ed Cranepool, who dug into some of his past and gave me some unique stories. Sat down with him last week, and uh, Cleon Jones will be on next week. And so excited to have those couple guys from the um, 50th anniversary team of the 69 Mets coming on, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely, and we're trying to party like it's 1969. You guys, unfortunately, <laughs> the Mets weren't able to keep some of that 69 magic going through Sunday, and, and we'll get into it a little bit as to why that is. They they still showed resilience on Sunday and throughout the entire weekend, and I'll start with you, Rich. They were just coming from behind. It's almost as if they were waiting for the Nats to take a lead just so the Nats could get their hopes up. Yeah, you know, the Friday and Saturday games, and even the Sunday game where they did come back, but but just weren't able to finish it out. You look at those Friday game, that Friday game and that Saturday game, and how improbable they were. You know, you're down three on Friday, going to the bottom of the ninth. Got a couple of guys on. Frazier Jacks won tie game, and then the Conforto ball that he just drilled over Eaton's head. And you know, I'll quote the the, um, the very famous Howie Rose on Saturday where, you know, and speaking of the 1969 guys that John was just talking about, um, he said, you know, if you think something magical isn't happening here, think again, because Luis Guillorme just played the role of Al Weiss, you know, where Al Weiss <laughs> was the little guy who hit the home run in uh, game five. I believe he tied the game for the Mets on the board. Uh, but anyway, and, and that's Guillorme, you know, a guy in his 100th at bat, hit his first home run, and, you know, obviously he's not much of a power hitter but he comes up in the bottom of the eighth and ties it. So, um, 
You know, I I never like to say it's magic or anything like that because that, that to me, it's almost demeaning. You're winning games because you're beating the other team, not because there's some kind of magic in the air. But it, it is an improbable run, and it is when things are going like that, your head does start to go to strange places. Your head starts to go to, you know, maybe this is their year. Because let's face it, like I've said many times on this podcast, the talent differential among the teams, sure, there's a differential, but it's marginal. These guys are all the best players in the world. You have to, the ball has to bounce your way sometimes, and the ball has been bouncing the Mets way for the past couple of weeks. So th- that's my take on it. I-, I think it's great. And like everybody else, I want to see what they do against a tougher schedule. And I'll turn it over to you, John. Um, I, I think that the Mets have been so resilient, they're almost making us forget about some of their uh, bullpen woes. And I hate to go directly to uh, some of the negative, but, you know, they, they obviously I, I can't even remember that the Mets, uh, let's see, it was Louis Avalon, who has pitched rather well, but Gazelman you know, started the ninth inning on Friday night, uh, giving up a couple singles. And I believe he was the one who gave the lead up on Sunday. Uh, so both Gazelman yeah. and Diaz continue to struggle. Um, and, and, and going with Diaz, he just can't seem to, to get this home run ball under control. Do you, what, what, should they be giving him an MRI, seeing if this bone spur? I almost like wish that's the case, that that is the excuse, that, that there's, there's an injury involved. So what, what, what do you do about Edwin Diaz right now? What, what, what's your take, John? Well, my take is I, I would, you know, there's a lot of discussion that putting him down at AAA and letting him uh, work his problems out, I don't think that's going to correct him uh, giving up the long ball. I think that's actually going to hurt his confidence if, in fact, there's any confidence left in him right now. Um, he just has trouble getting getting batters out, and uh, the long ball has really been his um, – his most difficult problem, but I, I, you know, I think the solution to uh, Diaz right now for the short term is use him in long relief. Either if you have a big lead and you get a pitcher who's injured or um, you're, you've fallen way behind and you need some guy to put in some innings and uh, knock out some innings for you, let him go in there in a situation where there's no pressure at all and let him just, pitch and putting him down at triple a isn't going to solve that problem i think what they have to do with diaz is just use him in long relief i think you have to put seth lugo in the closer spot for right now and uh hope hope that juris familia uh pleasantly surprised over the weekend him striking out the side hopefully that will help him turn the corner build a little more confidence and uh and become that eighth inning guy that he's supposed to be Familia does seem to be coming around, and so is Mickey Calloway with not using Diaz in some of these situations, Mike. So is it just that simple that you have to, because you are now in the position that we none of us thought they would be in, uh, maybe the Mets did. The Mets uh, obviously continued to hope, and we talked about the way they approached the trade deadline, and it has worked out swimmingly. Um, so... You know, and we'll, we'll, we'll get a little into Marcus Stroman, uh, considering he pitched on Friday. But uh, regarding this bullpen, is that just the answer? Continue to keep the, the hot hands running? Well, it's that. It's also a matter of health. Avilon is back. Wilson is back. Uh, both of them, 
were felled in early May, missed most of May and all of June, and the roles, the bullpen roles, kind of got reshuffled there, and, and we saw the negative effects that it had on Seth Lugo. Since their return, Avilon has knocked down his ERA by almost half. And mm-hmm. when Wilson got injured, his ERA was almost at five, and now he's down to two and change. With their return, Seth Lugo's role got normalized. He got put back in his primary uh, positions of strength, and now we're seeing the results a month later. Uh, so June w- was really uh, a thorn in their side as well as ours as fans. And even Jerry's familiar. Uh, since the All-Star break, he's knocked his ERA down by almost the full point. So I think it has a lot to do with a uh, return to health of Avilon and Wilson, a reshuffling of the roles, and and, and having a, a, a full a full complement of bodies available. So I, I think that's partly uh, part of the change. And then as far as the offense to complement it, you know, I've said a couple of times that, the offense as is wasn't uh or, or didn't have the potency to perhaps overcome some of the some of the bullpen mistakes and, and shortcomings. Uh but we saw Friday, particularly in Saturday, uh the bullpen and the offense come together as one. So uh there there there's promising things to look forward to uh in the in the next three weeks and then September. Rich, considering that they put Jerry's Familia on the DL a few times, uh, maybe injury was the the issue with him as well. Now he's a little bit healthier, uh, as well as I, I, we all think that a lot of it had to do with some sort of mental issue because uh, he just, just from body language alone, he didn't look healthy out there from a mental standpoint. Very true. And Familia, you know, it pro- you could never know if another man is in pain, right? There's no way to know that. But maybe he did have an impingement in the shoulder, and maybe he did have what they said it was. I mean, the, the IL stints, especially one of them, was very suspect. You know, I think he had an outing where he gave up about four runs. He was charged with four runs and got one out. So the next day he ended up on the IL. So you always wonder, you know, is that really an IL thing for an injury, or is it more just, you know, we have to get this guy out of here for a few days? But anyway um, – Whatever it is, whatever the past was, it's in the past. And, and the truth of the matter is the Mets need an effective Jerry's Familia, especially with Diaz struggling, because I love the idea of Lugo as the closer. I think we all do, but let's not forget, Lugo is not a two-game-in-a-row two, uh, guy. Mickey said it. you know. So this way, that's why they're trying to push him to two innings, because – what Mickey's saying is I'd rather use him for two because I'm going to lose him the next night anyway, so have him do two, night off, and then, you know, come back the the, uh, the next day. So that's a problem, right? If if you truly have lost faith in Diaz as a closer, and I think we all have, we love Lugo, that's great, but you know what? Over the course of the next seven weeks, you're going to have situations where you have two save situations in a row. And what are you going to do? Do you go to, do you go to a Familia? Or do you go to Diaz in whom you've lost confidence? So a, a confident and effective jury familiar like he was the other day, um, that's huge. That, that will be huge for the Mets going down the stretch. I think he might be one of their most important pieces going down the stretch for the reasons I've outlined. 
This is very true. Uh, now that we've kind of done the broad strokes, let's let's go game by game because, um, you know, John, it, it it's just it's remarkable. I was in, I was just completely shocked on Friday night. I was uh, in Planet Fitness, and my workout took three hours because I I couldn't necessarily focus on on getting the reps done because I was listening to Howie Rose and mm. it. You know, I was thinking to myself during it, well, all right, you know, it's just one game. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that we could only take on the lesser opponents and all of a sudden we're taking the Nationals on and we've lost all that magic. Uh, you know, I, I, a part of me that was running through my head, but obviously you're sitting there and you're like, all right, we can do this. Sean Doolittle has not pitched well against us. You kind of had a little bit of hope, but the way it unfolded, especially with the Todd Frazier home run uh, to begin it. It's just, uh, my jaw was on the floor. Talk about your reaction. Yeah. Well, it's for me too, because we didn't see that all year long. And, and then it, you know, this is what you were hoping for probably sometime in May and June, a, a break like this to get the Mets on a roll. And I think that's really what it has done and given them a confidence level that they can come back from any deficit, which, obviously spilled over into Saturday night and nearly gave them an opportunity on Sunday as well. If, uh, you know, if they went into the bottom of the ninth with a five, four deficit, they, they could have well have, uh, that could have been a different ball game um, uh, the way it ended up. So, you know, I'm very excited. One of the guys I'm most excited about is JD Davis. I just think he, he was six for 11 in the series, had a pair of home runs, and he's just really stepped up and is locked in. And he's one of those guys that was kind of second tier, and you would hope he'd he'd get some hits and be a good complement player. But he has stepped up when Pete Alonso had a tough series. J.D. Davis stepped in in that in that void and and really did a great job. And uh, I thought Ahmad Rosario is really getting better as well, not only as a hitter but his defensive skills over the last three weeks to a month have really been outstanding. And I think that's really helped solidify the middle of the infield. So yeah, I, I think that win on Friday night was very, very important and really propelled the Mets, not only to show that they could uh, beat teams that they were competing with, because prior to that, if you remember all those series leading up to that, the Mets were beating um, sub 500 teams. They swept the Marlins, they swept the White Sox and everybody said, well, they're beating the lower-level tier teams. Let's see how they can handle the Nationals and the Braves. Well, they handled the Nationals. Now can they handle the Braves? And if, you know, my my goal at, from this point out is continue to win series, prove that they can beat their division rivals, and everything else will take care of itself. I mean, by Sunday, it did feel like, oh, we still have to win this last game. You know, obviously yeah. there were a lot of echoes. There were a lot of echoes, uh, Rich, of 2015 uh, throughout the entire weekend, you know, because they kept coming from behind. They kept uh, getting behind in that series, too. And obviously they weren't able to completely mirror it. Uh, but the, 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 the level of hope is still there one way or the other. And I'll, I'll, I'll have you, since you, you have always been so high on Ahmed Rosario, let's go with Ahmed Rosario right now. Um, he's you know, silently turning into that superstar we all thought he could be. And he's only 23. And I know we talked about this on the last podcast, but still, it's, 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 he's such a complimentary piece. 
that it, it, it also says a, says a lot about the fact that it's a team game right now. I will get to J.D. Davis because he's one of my favorite players on the team right now, but I'd like you to run with Ahmed Rosario. Well, you know, with Rosario, he he's hitting well over 300 since the All-Star break. Um, his defense has been off the charts good. He's gone from being almost a liability at shortstop to being, you know, I would say clearly above average, probably average. And and then you couple that with the fact he just seems to have a knack for getting the big hit, which I know is hard to quantify. But if you put all that together, you're right. You're seeing the maturation of a 23-year-old man. He's a young, young man. And imagine what his future could be. He, You know, he doesn't really have much more to do to get to the level of an all-star shortstop at this point. He has, he has more consistency, for sure. Um, but you see the tools, you know, you're actually watching this guy become not only a major leaguer, but a very good major leaguer. You're seeing it. You're seeing the speed. You're seeing the defense. You're seeing the hitting for power. You're seeing the average. Um, he's chasing less. Again, more work to do. But the progress this young man has made in exactly two years, I think his first game was August 1st, 2017, um, the progress this man has made, He's, I would say, two-thirds of the way there to being an above-average fixture at shortstop. And now that you mentioned, now that I mentioned that, let's please not move him to center field. I mean, for the love of all that's holy, don't move this kid. <laughs> Let him become a shortstop. He's got the tools. He's showing it. Let him become a great shortstop and just let him do what he's doing and not mess with this kid and put him in center field. So, yeah, I, I've always been very high on him because, you know, you see the athletic ability. You understand that it's a work in progress. You understand that he has to have a better command of the strike zone. But you know what? He's doing those things, and he's doing them at a very young age. And it's great to see. It really is. It really is great to see. And in terms of J.D. Davis, Mike, uh, you know, the, the, the talk when we traded for him was that he never got – uh, a, a an opportunity because he was blocked in so many places in uh, Houston. So we really are seeing uh, him just sidle into this young core and become a, a very, very important cog in the machine that is clicking right now. Yes, without a doubt. Uh, you know, we gave up uh, Royal Sadol for him. He was at the Cyclones last year. And as Greg Prince mentioned last last week, uh, that was a small price to pay compared to what we're getting. Uh, he got crowded out of Houston, absolutely. Uh, you know, they had a surplus of talent over there. So uh, they were in a position to, to make a transaction or lose him through the waivers. So uh, it was a good transaction. Now that he's here, he's shown what he can do. Uh, he's very impressive with the bat. Defense... You know he, he's been he's been playing a respectable left field. Uh, so with Dom Smith out, you know injuries have a have a, a way of massaging problems. And uh, right now with Dom Smith out, we have a home for JD Davis in left field, and uh, he's performing well. You know he's playing a respectable left field, and his bat is doing uh, a lot of talking for him right now. Uh, it's good to see. Uh, it's a good problem to have as well. And, you know, it seemed like they were a little listless on Saturday night 
John, uh, to begin with. And yet again, like you mentioned, J.D. Davis got them, got both them and the ballpark moving uh, with a solo home run followed by a, uh, a back-to-back with Wilson Ramos. Um, I, I guess the direction to go here, I believe, is the, the crowd. Uh, it, it seemed as if the Met fan was waiting to erupt. We yet again have have been just so disgusted with what we see on the field. It's allowed us to just yet again have an excuse to go off on the will pond. But when this team is playing well, you see how New York will come out. And it could have been very possible that both Friday and Saturday had 34, 35,000. A lot of times, even when the Mets aren't playing well, they, they're able to get those Friday and Saturday crowds. But people were geared up for these games, and they came out, and they were a factor. Yeah, they they were a factor. They were a factor in both games and um, were very loud on Sunday as well. Um, you know, my thought is if they win ball games, fans are going to come out and they're going to support the team, and the Wilpons will be put to the background, and um, everything will take care of itself from there. I I was real excited to see uh, the fan base really get behind them. It really had a playoff atmosphere. Um, they kept referencing 2015, and um, you know I think the Mets. I think the Mets. In I'd like to turn this question around a little bit. Um, a lot of fans and media have recently compared the team to the team of 2015. I think probably because of how recent that was and some of the similarities of the moves they made. But I believe the 2019 Mets are more closely resemble the 2000 team, that blue collar team and and blue-collar play and that hard-nosed, hustling team. Not a lot of big names. There have been a couple guys that stepped up, but, um, you know, I really think they're more like the 2000 Mets than the 2015 Mets. I'd like to get all your opinions on that as well. Yeah, let's run with that, Rich. Well, the 2000 Mets, you know, you think about who's on that team. They were anchored by Piazza. And and to a lesser degree, you know, Ventura at third base. But John's right. I mean, they had a lot of interchangeable parts. You had Benny Agbayani. You had Jay Payton. You had Timo Perez. You had uh, Mike Bordick, everybody's favorite, right, who, who uh, they acquired in the middle of the season. So when you list that, when you list down those names, John's right. You know, other than Piazza, Ventura, you know, Zeal was uh, like a utility player, very good utility player on that team. What you had was a lot of complementary parts that came together nicely. You know, you had Leiter and Hampton anchoring the pitching staff. You had Benitez. I know that that's a name that make uh, that we whisper in dark corners of, of Mets world. But in 2000, <laughs> he was quite effective um, until the World Series. He was very effective. So I, I think that's a decent analogy. You know, 2015, the team was. Um, it was more of a veteran team, you know, good starting pitching staff. Obviously, everything about 2015 is Cespedes, where, you know, he was the, the big acquisition at the deadline. Mets didn't do that that this time around, at least not offensively. They picked up Stroman. But, um, so, yeah, I, I could see that analogy. I could see the lunch pail kind of a team. You know, Jeff McNeil's a lunch, a lunch pail player. Um, mm-hmm. You have, they have a lot of that. You know, a guy like Rosario. Look at Conforto. Um, so, sure, I do see that. I definitely do. Go ahead, Mike. 
I'm not one to really compare seasons. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm more apt to let 2019 write its own story. Uh, I see a lot of dissimilarities between 2015 and 2000. 2000, when I think of that team, I think of a superior defense, uh, a stellar infield. Uh, you know, and, and Sam, you mentioned that team was anchored by a, a bona fide star, uh, something which this team lacks. Uh, and defensively, they're not up to par with the two thousand with the two thousand team either. Uh, I think Bobby Valentine was a lot more savvier in his bullpen usage uh, than Mickey Callaway is, and that, that to me is a little uh, stunning. Uh, being that Mickey Callaway is a former pitching coach. Uh, but uh, that's it. I, I'm more apt to let 2019 write its own story. Uh, to me, the similarities to some of the other seasons, uh, we can pick one or two, three items. Uh, but overall, more inclined to let the season write its own story. I, I hear what you're saying about Mike Piazza uh, and, and the fact that he was at that point a bona fide star, but let's not uh, let, let's let's also just look at some of these numbers uh, that we got going on. Obviously, the batting average is a little lower than what Piazza was able to do with Michael Conforto: 266, 25 home runs, 66 RBIs. Of course, Pete Alonso is batting 258 with 38 home runs and 85 RBIs. Pete Alonso obviously is in his rookie season uh, and, and is not, you know, Mike Piazza at that point had been probably seven or eight years into the league and had had all-star year after all-star year. Uh, but, you know, we, I know that Wilson Ramos isn't necessarily a slugger, but he's batting 270 with 13 home runs and 59 RBIs. He's been real hot lately. Of course, we mentioned Ahmed Rosario. He's currently batting 279 with 12 home runs and 48 RBIs. Even Todd, Todd Frazier, his batting average is always really low, but he's been able to collect those home runs, and he's got 48, 49 RBIs. J.D. Davis, 14 home runs, 38 RBIs with a 307 batting average. Um, and Jeff McNeil, of course, batting 334 with 15 home runs and 54 RBIs. Uh, John, it, it's a really well-rounded offense right now. It's been a little inconsistent at certain times, but it seems that the approach that Chili Davis was brought in here to harness right now is clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, it really is. And he's made some adjustments with Conforto um, at the All-Star break. They went back and did some work together, and um, it, they've really uh, cleaned up his swing a little bit and tightened up his swing, and I think that has helped him turn the corner. He was kind of over-swinging in the first half. And um, there's a couple stories out there about what Chile did with um, Michael Conforto. That's um, really compelling and an interesting read. Joe Lemire did one for the New York times. And it was just, um, just a couple days ago. Uh, I encourage all Met fans to go back and read that. And I think you can kind of get a better understanding of what has happened to Michael Conforto recently to kind of get him back on track. He's kind of a streaky guy as a hitter. Um, at least that's what we've seen so far. So, um, yeah, beyond that, you know, Pete Alonso has been fantastic, and J.D. Davis has been, uh, I think, just the, the most pleasant surprise of all um, in terms of hitting. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's just, you know, as I look at this roster, it, it certainly makes me wonder, though, you know, what you do with some of these this dead weight and to really solidify how the offense clicks. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, uh, Juan Lagares, <laughs> who I wish I could forget at this point. Uh, Rich, uh, it's, it's just they're really going to keep him around because of his defense and because of the money. Um, but, you know, right now he's just complete dead weight at the plate. And it's, 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 there's no, never really a situation. I know he's had certain big hits at some point, but it's been few and far between. He doesn't seem to be, you know, he, he was supposed to move the runner over the other, uh, the other day and ended up replacing him at first base. Um, I, I think you got to move Altair uh, out of here before you move Juan Lagares and maybe bring up Rajai Davis at some point. I think that would be a good idea. Uh, but like, are, is, is it something that we're just going to have to wait till the season ends and hopefully when they're trying to make some playoff roster decisions? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was talking to somebody about the roster, and I was saying, and I, I know this part of this statement is going to be invalidated, but they're winning with 22 players as far as I'm concerned. Ligaris is useless. Aaron Althair is more useless. And – I think Luis Guillorme is borderline useless, you know, minus one, one big at bat. So when you think about that, they really have – they're on this amazing winning streak and, you know, maybe the magic is back or all that stuff. But they really have some things they have to try to do because you're right. They have dead weight on this team. And so obviously you can't make any trades, so what can you do? Well, Rajai Davis, I keep waiting for him to come up because there's no way he's worse than Aaron Althair. There's just no way. And if nothing else, Rajai Davis has has a legacy of being on winning teams, you know, with Cleveland. So you want him for that. Now I know he's had some hamstring injuries. He is 39 years old, and he came back. He played seven innings on I think it was Friday night, and he was removed from the game. Now I don't know why. I don't know if it's a re-injury or what it was. That's the last I saw about it. But you wonder if he's healthy. Why in the living hell is he not on this team? Another thing I want to mention is Josh Harrison was released by Detroit. Now, when he clears waivers, I would like the Mets to be all over him because he could play the outfield, and we all know the Mets are a little bit short on outfielders, especially good defensive outfielders. He could play the outfield with the injury to Cano. Davis is a nat- I mean, Harrison is a natural second baseman, and yes, I understand they have McNeil. But here's a guy who has been in the, in the postseason with Pittsburgh, uh, he's been in the, the playoff stretch with Pittsburgh. He's a natural second baseman who plays the corner outfield positions. I would love to see the Mets be all over him. So a couple things they can do. Rajai Davis, maybe Josh Harrison. Just do something to try to address the dead weight because when you really think about it, you're right. I mean, They have dead spots on a roster of a team that's on an amazing run, which makes the run even more amazing, I think. And I'd like to uh, – I'm just going to talk about Roger Davis and uh, then want to switch over to Saturday night. You mentioned Bjorne. Um He did play, uh, albeit he, he went over for both nights, he did play on Saturday and Sunday. So he is healthy still, um, Roger Davis is. So uh, I'm, it, there's really no reason if he's healthy to uh, to not be, be getting this done uh, ASAP. And they got the day off. Maybe we're going to hear something about it tomorrow. That would be lovely because there's no reason 
there's absolutely no, no argument to keeping Altair on this team right now. Um, Mike, you know, Saturday night, I, I, you sat back when it was 4-3. to three. I was hoping Guillermo could get on base. You know, somehow you had a feeling that they could get this tied. At no particular point did I think that while I was looking at my game day, I would see in-play runs with nobody on base. <laughs> the shades of 50 years ago, the Miracle Mets, shades of Al Weiss. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I thought. Al Weiss, Guillaume. Uh, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. I was listening to the game Friday. Uh, Wayne Randazzo almost blew a gasket. And uh, Saturday was no different. I was listening to the radio as well. Uh, and, and both nights, uh, the announcing was just amazing. But uh, as far as uh, Guillaume and all these people that you mentioned, uh, I'm agree. Uh, I'm in agreement with everybody uh, as well as Rich. Uh, you know, some of these bodies may solidify a position, certainly may solidify the bench. So uh, the September call-ups are right around the corner. So I, I, I'm sure we're going to see some uh, new and fresh faces here in the in the near future. John, I want to keep going with that unlikely home run. I mean, where he hit it to was this sliver of a section, which, you know, just brings up how terrible some of this outfield design was in 2009 to begin with. Uh, And just to think how that was where you had to hit it originally for it to be a home run if you went just a couple feet to the the home plate right – it wasn't. It was falling in probably into somebody's glove. Um, but besides that, it, it it was really just such an unlikely home run. A hundred at bats, he hadn't hit it. It was a three-two count. He found the barrel to the ball, and it went out. Yeah, it's plain and simple as that. It, it, he just got the right pitch. It was left up, and uh, you know he just put a bat on ball, and um, Guillaume was the hero of the night for. For that moment, um, will we see that on a regular basis from Louis Guillaume? I I would doubt that. I think the Mets have depth problems. I think Panic was a smart addition. Um, I agree with Rich. I think Josh Harrison has potential to really give them some depth and some meat uh, when they need it going down the stretch here. I even think uh, Brad Brock was has the potential to really add some depth on the pitching side as well. But Ladaris and Altair, I mean. Um, you know, the Mets need more offensive depth right now going into the last six weeks of the season. And they're really going to be tested here in the coming weeks against the Braves. This is going to be a true test for this team. I mean, they're coming off a loss. They're going to be on the road. They're against their division leader. Can the Mets win games, not compete, win games against the division leader? And I think they're going to have to have some of those pieces um, really uh, playing at full strength and in doing well to, to really compete at that level. Yeah. And uh, before we get to the Braves series, let's talk, let's talk about Joe panic. Uh, Rich, you know, he, he immediately was, his presence was felt. He got on base a few times. He collected his first net hit and then some, uh, you know, and we saw some of that gold glove defense, um, it, it just could be one of those good situations where, you know, change of scenery and he's, he's Joe Panic of old. Yeah, I mean, Joe Panic was always a – he had a one all-star season. You know, I don't have the exact number in front of me career-wise. Actually, I can pull it up pretty, really quickly here. But, you know, he's roughly a career – 
career, you know, what, 260, 270 hitter with solid defense, you know, a little bit of pop here and there. So he, he's not never going to be your, your best player, but, my God, when a guy like that's available for basically nothing, you know, when, when a guy like that's DFA'd and, and he wants to play for you and, and you have a need for him, it, it was a no-brainer. And same thing with Brad Brock. That's a really good point, John, about adding him. You know, again, it's unlike other years trade at this point. And um, you, you're basically picking up other people's scraps if you don't have depth in your own system. So Brad Brock, and a, what, a, what a great story about Brad Brock, by the way, that he grew up a diehard Mets fan, and he said that including games he's played in, the highlight of his baseball life was being at Game 3 of the 15 World Series and David Wright at the home run. He was actually an Oriole at the time, and he was at the game. That's just amazing. So, um, But, you know, Brody has done a couple of wise things in picking those guys up. I, and, again, I, I really would like to see – I keep stalking the writers on Twitter to see if the Mets are expressing any interest in Josh Harrison. I hope they do. And I just want to make one last point on Brody. You know, he, he's taken a lot of flack for the offseason, as well he should. Cano and Diaz, that move has been just dreadful. But give credit where it's due. You know, give some credit where it's due. The J.D. Davis move is looking very good. Um, he hasn't sat on his hands at this point. He's went out and he's gotten Brock. He's gotten panic. He is competing with other teams for those guys' services. So those are good moves. How about picking up Luis Avilon? This guy has been – he's even closed a couple of games for the Mets, and he's been fantastic. You know, as Mike said, he's dropped his ERA in half in the past month. So he has made a couple of good moves. I like his aggressiveness. And um, and I'm not ready to say he's had a good off season or a good season on on net, but some of the positives are starting to come out. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, you got to give uh, uh, due where when it's when it is when it's due. Um, the Brad Brock thing too is he bought a jersey uh, and was at the game in a Mets jersey, and and just like when do you ever hear that? Uh, obviously, the Orioles were not involved in in it, but you know, it, it it's just pretty remarkable to think that he was already dreaming of a day when he could be wearing a Mets jersey, and he decided that would be the day. Um, and yeah, Mike, you know, both Joe Panic, Brad Brock, run with it. Excellent acquisition, uh, as far as Panic, uh, and that's where I'll make the comparison to 2015 when we picked up Kelly Johnson and Uribe. Uh, Panic is paying instant dividends. So, uh, great acquisition, only insofar as his production on the field. Uh, You just never know. But when the guys come through, uh, you know, nice punch in the arm for for Brody. Uh, But, yeah, you're going to need guys like that. You're going to need production from people whom you least expect it from. This is an old adage that it takes a 40-man roster to win championships. I'm not going that way. I'm just hoping on... Uh, you know, competitiveness and contention, but it's still going to take a 40-man roster to get this thing done. You are listening to a Metsian podcast, and we're so thankful that you have. And before we move on to the historical nature of our podcast, when we go over uniform number 33, let's preview the uh, Braves series. And it'll also give us a chance to talk a little Marcus Stroman and the way he performed in his Sydney Field debut on Friday night. But first, let's go with Zach Wheeler versus Max Freed, I believe is how it's spelled Fried. It could be Fried. It could be Freed. Somebody might correct me at some point, but 
He, uh, according to MLB.com, uh, he enters the series opener having won four straight starts, compiling a 3.32 ERA during that stretch. He allowed two runs over six innings and a victory over the Mets on June 19th at SunTrust Park. Uh, and Wheeler, as we all know, uh, and I'll start with you, John, he's from the Braves area. He's from Georgia. And he always seems to step his game up against these guys. It's where he got his first major league start uh, win, uh, as well as on the uh, uh, his first major league start where he shut the Braves down. Um, so hopefully, you know, Zach Wheeler will be in the zone for this uh, stretch after not getting traded. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's pitching well and has pitched well in the second half uh, overall. And, um, yeah, going into this series, he's a great way to start Matt and then Stroman on Sun, or on um, Thursday night. So uh, I think the Mets are, are lined up real well against the Braves going into the series. Rich, um, it, it's – you got to – basically, the, the trick with the, the Braves, of course, is uh, getting Ronald Acuna Jr. out. Um, they they have such a good roster that, you know, you, there's so many different players that you can talk about. But Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. are obviously the guys you just can't let beat you. No, you can't. And Ozzy Albies as well. Uh, Nick Markakis always finds a way to hurt the Mets. So, you know, the Braves are a problem. They're a big problem, and they're going to be a problem for a while. And you know, they've got a lot of young talent on there, like Acuna and Albies. Max Fried, I think, is like 24 years old. Soroka's young. So, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a solid young team with a couple of veterans like Freeman and Marquez who are there to provide the stability. Now, on the other side of the coin, I believe over their last 25, the Braves are under 500. So there's that, and I think they're struggling in the bullpen. They picked up a lot of guys at the trade deadline, and all those, all those guys have not performed so far. So uh, they've blown some leads late. And it's like anything else. You know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, too. They could be beaten. Um, what it will take, it's obvious. But what it will take is, as I see it, you know, I, I like the Mets rotation a lot. I think this is a bit of the underbelly of the rotation going into that series. I, I would much rather have Syndergaard and Zagram, but we don't have that in this series. We have, you know, you have Wheeler, you have Matt, and then you have Stroman. So, okay, boys, step it up. You know, you have to pitch well against this team. You have to keep them down. You have to keep them to three or four runs so you have a chance to beat them. Um, and again, you have to try to feast on their bullpen. So that's how I see this series. I agree with what was said earlier. The idea at this point, you're not going to sweep everybody. The idea is to, is to win the series. So give me two out of three here. Um, and I do think the keys will be those three starters are good. They're not Syndergaard and DeGrom, but they're good. These guys have to really step it up. Mike, uh, Stephen Matt goes in the second game against Dallas Keuchel which obviously a name we have heard a lot about over the uh, the last year uh, as he was uh, uh, talked about as replacing Jason Vargas, but instead the Mets replaced Jason Vargas with Marcus Stroman, who we'll get to next. Uh, uh, MLB.com, title experience, the shortest start as with the Braves last Thursday against the Marlins. He allowed eight runs, the most he has given up since 2017, on ten hits over three and two-thirds innings. Keuchel, a ground ball pitcher, permitted three homers. Um, the way I see it is, you know, kick them while they're down. 
Ergo, his availability. Uh, there's reasons why nobody wanted him when he was available for, what, half the season. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I knew what they were, but, you know, when nobody touches, there's reasons for it, and I guess we're seeing that now. Uh, but I'm in lockstep with Rich. Uh, you know, the upcoming series against the Braves, this is going to be on the starting pitching. Uh, we already know that if the Mets are going to go far into September and perhaps the postseason, it's going to be via the starting pitching. So this is going to be a great litmus test. Even though we're, you know, utilizing the back end of the rotation, we still need all five starters to get through this. So, I, you know, it could be DeGrom, it could be Stroman, it could be Matt, it could be any one of them. Uh, three gentlemen need to step up and, and carry this team. Uh, the The offense will be there. As it's been all season, you know, the offense has been keeping the Mets pretty competitive. You know, sometimes they've fallen short. Sometimes they lack the potency to overcome some of the bullpen issues. Uh, but it's been there. And heading into the series, I'm not into the series. I'm not that worried about that uh, more so than I am the starting pitch. Uh, because like Rich says, we have to ride their back if we're going to do anything uh, come this fall. Steven Matz, John, is going to be pitching against Keuchel, uh, two left-handed pitchers, and uh, a 4.49 ERA with 104 K. Um, he's he's pitched, you know, certainly inconsistent, uh, but when it comes together for Matz, he's one of he he has the potential to be one of the best in the game. Yeah, without a doubt. And in the good news with Matz, I mean, he's the most concerning of me. It depends on which Steven match you're going to get going into a game. Um, and when he gets into a little bit of trouble, how is he going to perform? Is he going to be able to keep his head about himself and, and really pitch through that and pitch and not just throw the ball? Uh, but the good news, I think, with Matt's going into this series is that he performs well on the road historically. He's got a 2.73 ERA on the road. Um, he performs well against the Braves. He's had uh, – um, I think about a dozen starts or more, um, and he's pitched real well. He's five and one career against them. Yeah, he's had ten starts against the Braves, and uh, he's got a three-five ERA. So, um, you know, going into the game, um, it really depends on which Steven Matz we're going to see on uh, Wednesday night. That is for sure. And uh, the next night, we got. Uh, Quite the young pitcher matchup. We got Julio Teheran and Marcus Stroman. Um, you know, Rich, Julio Teheran, it's just always a thorn in my side, but I feel like he is beatable. And uh, let's, let's talk about Julio Teheran, but let's also talk about what we've gotten out of Marcus Stroman so far. I think I think he's had the knack of, of uh, making some big pitches but he's certainly been inconsistent so far, even if the Mets have won both of starts. Yeah, you know, Tehran has been a thorn in the Mets' side for years, as you said. Um, he's obviously not as good as he was. You know, he's getting older now. But he always finds a way to, um, you know, to beat the Mets. And so, you know, they're up against an old foe, a guy they've seen a lot, and they have to find a way to beat him. And, and as regards Stroman, you know, he um, – neither of his two starts has been terribly – good but on the other hand you could also say that he's kept them in those games you know he's obviously amped up he's been amped up in both of those starts and while neither went terribly well he didn't let either game get out of control 
So it's a glass half full, glass half empty thing. It, it depends which side you come down on. You could say, you know, for what they gave up, they gave a couple of good young arms. Um, you need better than keeping you in the game. You know, at what point is he going to give you seven innings of one-run ball? Okay, I understand that. But you could also say that he's managed the games well, which is what a good pitcher will do, and he'll, you know, find his legs under him in the National League and be better. So it's one or the other. And um, and I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the latter. I'm going to go with the fact that he's kept him in the games. He's still figuring out the National League. He's still been amped up. It's only been two starts. I see him just getting better as time goes along. And let's not lose sight of this. Let's not lose sight of Marcus Stroman is great in that dugout. He's great in the clubhouse. You can see it already. And he's a net positive for this team. And, and I do think we will see. We have not seen the best Marcus Stroman has to offer by a long shot. And hopefully we see that this coming start. Um, you know, I think he, the both starts, Mike, he's been amped up. Obviously his first one for the Mets in uh, in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, and he really did settle in and kept him into the game and got taken out pretty early uh, and, and ha- didn't have that many pitches under his belt at the time. Uh, and, and in City Field, obviously, it was his first uh, home start. Uh, so we, we could – be potentially seeing uh, him settle in coming this uh, this time against the Braves. Um, it could also be Juan Soto. I mean, we couldn't get this guy out of town quick enough, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Funny you mention it. But uh, Stroman, yeah, he's probably getting settled in still, and, and I'm okay with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I- I'm excited to see his start against the Braves. Uh, you know, Stroman is not something that the Braves are used to, at least not from the Mets. Uh, I like his repertoire of pitches, so uh, I, I, I'm looking for something. Uh, I'm looking for something actually pretty stellar uh, when, when he faces the Braves. And hopefully that is the case. Uh, and without further ado, thank you for listening to the modern day Mets section of our podcast. And we will segue over to uniform number 33. And uh, I'll start with. The uh, history guy uh, currently on Twitter who brings us Mets history every day uh, on Mets Rewind, John Struble, when you look at number 33, it is as infamous as it can get. I mean, I, you, I, I guess you've got to give it to Ron Hunt to being the best on this list. Um, obviously, most recently, we, we're going to have to talk a little Matt Harvey here, uh, but you know, other than the fact that Matt Harvey had one of the best pitching seasons in Mets history and the fact that Ron Hunt was the first all-star for this, this franchise, I mean, it's, those are the two names that jump out at you here. Again, he's kind of that curmudgeon older uh, Met who played for them from 63 to – 66, and it was great to see John, him. John, I'm sorry. I'm, John, I'm sorry. Can you start over? I uh, Unfortunately, we, we had a little uh, technical difficulty there. Oh, yeah. Sure. No problem. Uh, Ron Hunt, obviously, is the guy, um, you know, when you look at number 33, that historically is probably um, the guy you would highlight for the Mets. Uh, he played for the Mets from 63 to 66, and um, he's kind of that curmudgeon now. He's that older guy, but it was great to see him out at City Field uh, over the weekend, taking in a couple Mets games. 
Um, so, you know, it was good to see him there. And I think, uh, I think when I think number 33, I think of Ron Hunt and, um, what a uh, solid ball player he was for the Mets in the four years. Obviously, on the other end of that stick, we 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 think of John Main, we think of uh, we think of Matt Harvey, and um, you know there are a number of names that are in there. Thirty-three Mets have worn number thirty-three, so that's an interesting little note there. But yeah, Ron Hunt is the guy that first came to mind when you had mentioned number thirty-three is going to be the historic number. So uh, I'm going with him. You know, Rich, you have uh, Anthony Young here. Uh, he didn't wear it that long, but, of course, uh, he he is uh, always connected to uh, infamy as uh, having been the – has I still think the longest losing streak uh, in history, even though he did pitch in some bad luck considering he had a 377 ERA. But you also have Eddie Murray, who is a Hall of Famer, but was uh, on the Mets during some really, really rough times in 92 and 93. So when you think 33, uh, where, 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 do you, where does your head go? Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Maybe Mike and, and John relate to this. I have to go with Ray Sadecki, the first person who pops to mind. Um, Sadecki was on the Mets, you know, in the early to mid-70s. And I remember my first ever Mets game, he got the save. And um, so Ray Sadecki, 33-year-old, uh, number 33, he was a reliever for the most part, occasionally a closer, and an occasional starter. So he was that, you know, that guy who would do anything you needed him to do. Um, just a solid, you know, not spectacular, but solid lefty out of the bullpen. So I think about Ray Sadecki, um, and again, it's clear that it's anchored in my mind because in my first ever Met game at Shea, he got the save. So I think about him. And then as I, you know, you know, to go to another guy that has been mentioned already, I'm going to go with Barry Lyons. You know, Barry Lyons was your, again, we talk about this all the time, the Duffy Dyer type, the typical backup catcher. You know, didn't hit much, was good defensively. You know, he, um, he backed up Carter uh, for a couple of years. And, um, and, you know, when Barry Lyons would play, I mean, Mike, John, help me out here. You know, guys from the old Mets, I don't mean to exclude you, Sam, but, you know, we've seen going way back, just a classic cut out of that guy who you played him once a week. He was good defensively, had a little pop. Barry Lyons definitely had a little pop. So I think about Barry Lyons as well. So those are two I wanted to comment on. I wanted to comment on my man Ray Sadecki and also Barry Lyons. Mike, I have a feeling, are you going to give a little love to Pete Falcone? <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. Repeat that, please, because I heard that all broken up. No, I said, are you going to give a little love to Pete Falcone? I will. I will. He pitched uh, with the Mets during, quote-unquote, the dark years. We picked him up from the Cardinals, I believe. Uh, but, you know, he was a he was a solid pitcher for the time. Uh, Much-needed much left-hander, much-needed healthy body during those days. Uh, so, yeah, I look back on Pete Falcone fondly. Uh, I, w- I would like to give props to Jay Harris and the work he's doing with the alumni, uh, because when was the last time Ron Hunt was at City Field or Shea Stadium? Uh, so props to Jay Harris for getting these guys and getting these guys in town and in City Field. Uh, Ron Hunt was in City Field very recently, signing autographs and talking and whatnot. And I, uh, you know, I, I think he's just Harwitz that is. I think he's just doing a great job and bringing these guys back and, you know, uh, joining fans with their Mets heritage, 
so to say. Uh, but the, the gentleman who really jumps out at me on this list is Eddie Murray. Even though he only played with the Mets for two years, and there were two very bad years, 92 and 93. But if nothing else, uh, Eddie Murray was great. I've always found him to be great. Uh, naturally, he's an old famer, but he was always one of my most favorite players. I was happy when they acquired him, and I was happy, very happy to watch him play at Shade Stadium. I was a big fan of Eddie Murray, uh, just one of baseball's all-time great as far as I'm concerned. And can, can I throw one thing in? Mike mentioned Jay Horowitz and, and the work that's going on with bringing the alumni back. I'm not sure if you guys were watching Saturday night when they had Skip Lockwood. He was sitting with Ron Hunt. And um, they were sitting together, and uh, Gelbs was talking to both of them. And um, obviously I mentioned that because Skip has been on our podcast. And he told a couple of the same stories he told us on the podcast, which is, you know, what a wonderful night that was. And um, he talked about how, you know, he and he was on Ed Randall's show this past Sunday. And, you know, he talked a little bit about how he had a chance to play for Yogi. Um, Yogi was his first manager, I think it was one day. And then Yogi was fired the next day after they lost that doubleheader to the Expos. He told the story about how he landed at LaGuardia when game one of the doubleheader was in progress. He put his uniform on and he got to the bullpen and um, and they said, okay, warm up. And he said, what? And they said, start warming up. Yogi wants you in the game really quickly. And he had literally just been on a plane, you know, 20 minutes earlier. So he told those stories and it was just great to see him for obvious reasons, you know, because he skipped Lockwood and also special to us because he's been on our podcast. I appreciate you mentioning that, Rich. Thank you. And uh, just to go around the horn um, uh, regarding Matt Harvey, uh, you know, a lot of fans have uh, at certain points talked about picking him up for bullpen help. But, you know, I I think, you know, since we're talking about uh, uniform number 33, uh, John, Matt Harvey, like I said, had a chance to be the best 33 on this list. And unfortunately, it just all came crashing down. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, after 2015, he was never quite the same, and um, it was disappointing. Uh, a lot of hype built up around him, you know, the the Dark Knight and uh, the Sports Illustrated cover and all those different pieces and, um, you know, his excellent performance first couple of years, and um, everybody expected a lot from Matt Harvey, and then uh, things kind of fell apart, and it's it's kind of disappointing for him because he's a guy who's not even 30 years old yet, and he he just cannot find the plate anymore, and he doesn't have the the velocity on his fastball anymore. So, um, you know, it makes it real difficult for him to pitch at the major league level uh, without some secondary pitches that are really strong. And um, that's kind of where he is now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if a team takes a shot at him. I don't know about down the stretch here, but maybe going into next spring or something and see if they can't. Uh, get him straightened out a little bit and make him a serviceable pitcher. Rich, do you think Harvey will ever resort to going back to the minor leagues and trying to figure this thing out? I hope so. Um, you know, if you're a Mets fan, I don't tell you could not like Matt Harvey. He did everything he could in 2015. The, um, oh, I hate even bringing this up, but the fact he went out there for ninth inning of, of game five it's not his fault. That's on Terry Collins. Uh, but anyway, about Matt Harvey, think think about up and down, right? 2013 in July, he's starting the All-Star game at City Field. Incredible high. 
a month and a half later, he's diagnosed with with the torn ligament, and he has Tommy John. A month and a half later, that was. Missed the 14 season. 15 season, another high. Pitched beautifully coming back. The whole thing with the innings limit and all of that. Gave his all in the World Series. And then thoracic outlet syndrome, DFA'd. Um, and now he's DFA'd a second time by California. So talk about a guy who went up, down, briefly back up, and now is down. And and I don't know. I would love to see him get another shot. Quite frankly, I'd love to see the Mets give him another shot. Um, not now, but in the off season, bring him to spring training. Let's see what he could do. You know, take a shot at this guy. I don't know. It's emotional for me because I know he's a Connecticut guy like me. And also, I don't know. I just feel so sorry for the guy because – Here's a guy who gave it everything he had, and uh, it's, a, it's a shame. It's just a shame to see what's happened. Mike, I just have a feeling that neither side will ever want to make that a marriage again. I'm sorry, say that again, neither side what? I don't think either side will ever want it to be a marriage again. No, neither would I. You know, I'm a forward-moving creature. Uh, I'm I'm the first to say, been there, done that. So, no, I I don't foresee a reunion. Uh, But just to reuse the word, it is a shame what happened to him. Uh, When he was on, he was electric. No doubt about that. And as cult heroes go, he makes me think of Mark Fidrich. Uh, even though Harvey's career lasted a little longer than Fidrich, uh, the man became a cult hero in one season. Fidrich, that is. And, and here comes the Dark Knight. And, you know, I just remember all the excitement for Mark's outing and all the excitement and anticipation for, for Harvey's outing. Uh, and, and both of them, you know, both of their, their better days ended by the fact Harvey lasted a little longer, but it's still sad to me. Uh, and, you know, his demise, for whatever reason, just reminds me of Mark Victory. John, do you want to comment on that? I don't think he reminds me so much of Fidrich, but I think the the way his career played out may have some uh, parallels to that. I was having a conversation um, with uh, when I was talking to Ed Cranepool recently about how, how the game and the media in New York can really have an impact on your career. And I asked him whether or not if he thought that was, that was true or not. And, you know, whether or not it could really damage a, a player's career despite all the talent they had. And Crane Poole said, yeah, he thought, he thought with Nolan Ryan, he said, Ryan didn't want to pitch in New York. And, um, you know, until he got out of there, he he probably never would have been the pitcher he became if he unless he left New York because he wasn't really settled and comfortable there. Neither was his wife, and uh, all the hype that surrounded him, the fact that he could throw 100 miles an hour but didn't have great control. Um, you know, a lot of the media pressure that came his way, he didn't handle very well, and that kind of, in some ways. Uh, I think resembles what Harvey went through. I think, um, oh, who was the other pitcher I was just thinking of? Uh, Tim Leary. You know, they were comparing him to Tom Seaver when he came up as well. And then he had an arm injury and could never get it back together. So, you know, um, the pressure of playing in New York, 
um, even when you're successful, to maintain that and to continue. You raise the bar and to compete at that level. You know, what he did in 2013, like Rich said, um, in the all-star game and performing at that really high level and the expectations um, that were put on him and then the injuries and not being able to get back to that level completely, um, I think really was difficult for him. If it happened in another in another city, who knows? Um, I still think he had some physical problems that probably held him back, but he could have had the time and a little less pressure to do it in uh, maybe another city. But I, I do think he deserves another shot if he's willing to um, kind of lose some of the ego and stuff and, and really get down to, to pitching because if he can locate his pitches – and he could still throw 93, 94 if he's got that changeup or slider or curveball or whatever it is that he could use as secondary pitches. He could become a, a real decent middle-of-the-rotation guy down the road. You know, I really do hope he figures it out one way or the other. You know, you, you hear certain stories and, and the way things unfolded, you know, hopefully that's just not what's dogging him now, and it really is just the injuries. So, uh, I, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, you know, I, he, he, I, I met him uh, back in 2012 at the Ike Davis. Uh, um, it was a cure for cancer, for stand-up to kids' cancer. And the, the players were uh, – they, they were – sorry, hold on for a second. Um, they were – uh, the 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 players were bartending. It was really really entertaining uh, seeing them up there uh, feeding us drinks. It 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 was really a fascinating uh, time. Uh, you know they were coming off a sweep to the Braves. I remember that, and they still had smiles on their faces. David Wright made an appearance and and took some photos with everybody. Uh, uh, it, and and. All these guys were were real, real special to the uh, to the kids, and I remember seeing Kelly Shopik there that day, and I, I slapped him on the back and said, "Welcome to the Mets family," and he seemed really genuinely appreciative of that. He was like, "Oh, thanks, buddy." And obviously, Kelly Shopik is just a blip on the map for uh, for this franchise, uh, but that's really what it feels like. You know, Matt Harvey is still part of the Mets family, and. I wish him nothing but the best. And, and I, I understand where you're coming from, Rich, with him being a Connecticut boy. And he was obviously a local boy. You know, it, we all infamously, he rooted for the Yankees growing up. Um, I, you know, we, we all still fear, I think, that eventually he's going to be uh, swept up on a minor league deal by the Yankees and pitch his heart out uh, for them. But, you know, one way or the other, I, I can't say that I want to see that, but I definitely want to see Matt Harvey have some success. So, uh, you know, we wish him nothing but the best. And with that, we uh, move on to our last word on this off night. Um, just a quick, I'd like to check in on the, um, the nationals, uh, as long as we're, it's the only game that we, we have, uh, uh, to be scoreboard watching for tonight. And it seems that, they are leading the Reds 6-2, uh, to two. and the Reds aren't all that far back uh, either. They're only five games back, obviously have more teams to jump in front of, but it uh, doesn't look like it's going well for them right now, and Nationals trying to solidify their lead at the top of the wildcard standing. 
Uh, without further ado, I will sweep over to John Struble of Mets Rewind. Uh, before you give us our, uh, your last word, one more time for that shameless plug, John. Sure. At Mets Rewind on social media, whether you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and you can visit our website at MetsRewind.com. So oh, uh, excellent. Uh, I, uh, yes, please. Yes, final word. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I just think uh, moving forward, the Mets have to um, the Mets have to continue to win series, and um, pitching needs to front end of the rotation really needs to kind of carry the team um, through the final weeks here, and hopefully there's some solidification in the bullpen with the addition of Brad Brock and uh, hopefully Luis Avilon and Justin Wilson continue to pitch well. And uh, Diaz is kind of minimized in that situation. I think if that's the case, the Mets certainly have a chance to um, slip in there on the wild card. And who knows if they if they really play the way they've been playing recently and uh, could sweep the Braves, then it's wide open for a potential uh, top of the National League East as well. But that's wishful thinking. We'll see how it happens one game at a time. Thank you again, John, for joining us tonight. We greatly appreciate it. Mike, what is your final word? Three final words. Let's go Mets. Uh, <laughs> let's go Mets. You know, let's uh, let's take it to the Braves. And uh, I'm having fun. I'm having fun with this turnaround. So I'm not feeding anything into it. I'm just looking forward to having fun. Uh, they've made a remarkable turnaround. They're in a good place right now. So let's continue marching forward. Rich, um, before I ask you for your final word, I want to kind of play a little reverse psychology on uh, the superstitious nature, the, 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 the baseball gods, if you will. The last time we talked about whether or not they'd be able to do the wild card, you said it's, it's probably, you know, probably they weren't going to it. So I just want to hear it from you. Uh, uh, you know, that when I asked you, can they win the division? Give me a no. <laughs> nah, no way. Um, although, now that I said that, I said that with a smile on my face. I'm not sure if you all saw this today, but on August 12th of 1969, the Mets were eight games behind the Cubs. August 12th, 19, um, August 12th, 2019, the Mets are eight games behind the Braves. So, Precedent is there. Now, granted, the Cubs collapsed, and I don't see the Braves collapsing. But 50-year anniversary, similar situation on August 12th. Team got hot all of a sudden, just like that 69 team did. I don't know. You know, if you believe in, in cosmic connections, maybe, right? Maybe. That would be uh, very lovely. Uh, would you like to uh, have that be your final word, or you want to roll with something else? I want one more. Uh, curious. I'm very curious to see what happens in Atlanta. Then you know, they have the Dodgers coming up, the Cubs coming up, they have the Indians coming up. They could just as easily fall right out of this as fast as they came into it. I don't think that will happen. I'm very curious to see how they do. I I really don't have a feel for it. I don't know if you guys do, but I don't know if they're going to tread water over the course of this, you know, difficult schedule coming up. I don't know if they're going to absolutely, you know, tank or continue to do well. I have no feel for it whatsoever. I'm just curious. I'm going to watch it and and want to be entertained. 
you got to believe is my final three words. Uh, that's just bottom line. This is always seems to be where the Mets uh, put themselves. Uh, when you least expect it, they come storming to the top. And when you expect it, they come crashing down. So you got to believe I'm there with believing. Uh, they, they played the Cubs a lot back in the day. Obviously, they, they are going to have a lot of uh, uh, games against the Braves to be able to do this. Uh, but I, I, I'm done for that division. If they can make it without having to face the Dodgers, if they were to win that wild card or, you know, obviously not have to depend on one game, get that division and get this squared away. And, uh, you know, the, the, who knows what could happen. We could be staring at uh, quite the fun season when we thought it was one of the worst we'd ever seen. So without further ado, uh, thank you for, yes. I'm sorry, Sam, I just want to throw in two more things real quick. Um, so, MLB's power rankings came out today. The Mets are 10th in baseball as uh, in MLB power rankings, which I find unbelievable. But they went up from 19th to 10th, so that's the first thing. And um, and the second thing is their playoff odds are now finally over 50%, and the people who come up with that stuff give them a better, better chance to make the playoffs than Washington, who's actually ahead of them. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought those were two fun facts. They, I think that the, the thing is that they always lean on how good the pitching can be uh, with the Mets. Everybody seems to to have a lot of stock in how good that pitching can be. And uh, speaking of Matt Harvey, it used to be because Matt Harvey was in this rotation, and now that is not the case. But even without Matt Harvey, we're talking about potential for the best rotation in baseball. And hopefully that potential can be fulfilled in this final stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a Messian podcast. We're so thankful that you have, and we will catch you next time. Let's uh, let's only let's finish it the only way we know how. Uh, take us away, Rich. Let's go Mets. Let's go let's Mets. Go Mets. Let's go Mets. Take care, everybody. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, John.